This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, it is Film Study with Ken McCusick. This is our end of January episode. It's been a uh, week or two since we've had one come out. Now it's the end of January, so we get to break down the Pro Bowl. 
Not really. We're <laughs> going to go through the offensive offensive look back at this season. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? That is funny. Who, I mean, who cares about the Pro Bowl these days? I, You know, in many ways, I don't care. I care about the same as the Pro Bowl as I care about the Super Bowl this year. But I'm a, I'm a little Tom Brady'd out. Uh, how about you? Yeah, me too. Can't stand him. I don't want to see him again. You know, in some ways, Peyton Manning's career ending, I thought they would hopefully forget about him in a period of time. But I actually like what Peyton Manning has done with the end of his career. You know, his post-career is all about how much of a jerk he was as a player. You know, kind of all this, the, the commercials with the country music guy and whatnot that he's doing are all, you know, this self-centered, narcissistic stuff that's very good. But uh, I don't see Brady having the same life after football with commercials. Yeah, I, I don't... I... Brady doesn't need commercials after football either. He's one of the highest-paid football players ever. Um, he, I assume he is saving a lot of that money, but I am tired of seeing Brady. <laughs> I am tired of the Patriots always finding a way to win. I'm tired of the refs being the first people to congratulate Brady when he does win. <laughs> I'm tired of Tom Brady. Yeah, me too. But I do like Peyton Manning, and I like him a lot, like you were saying. Uh, there's rumors that ESPN is really going after him for Monday Night Football. Oh, I would, that I don't want. I mean, because, you know, they got to replace Gruden. But you know, man, it's a guy that they will pay. If Oakland's paying what the highest they could possibly play for Gruden, ESPN will spend all that money on uh, on Manning if they can convince him to get in the booth. Yeah, you would think so. Gruden was very good on Monday Night Football. He's actually going to be tough to replace. Right. Uh, I The guy I think I'm having more difficulty listening to, despite the fact that I liked them initially, was Tony Romo. Is He just battles <laughs> too right. much during during the during the actual broadcast. So yes. there's a lot of good information. I enjoy it. What, which game did he cover this weekend? I was, think he's doing the it? NFC. Okay, so he was on the uh, he was on the Eagles-Vikings game. Is that the game he was yep. covering? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was making a bunch of noises, especially and like in the slow motion instant replays, the noise yeah. of you getting close to the TV. He has found a way to make a sound for that noise of you of you <laughs> squinting to the TV. Um, I like it. I'm a fan of it because it reminds me of John Madden, and I okay. loved John Madden uh, when he was in the booth. So I think there Romo's we- got a little bit of Madden going on there. It, it, he's at the top end. That's that's uh, no doubt where he could be. But Madden is was so special in terms of the inside football knowledge that I, I really appreciated him. Yeah, I think there were, honestly all of the big time national broadcast guys are all pretty good right now. Romo is probably the weakest of them, but I I like Collinsworth. I think he's quite good. Um, I you know I I've certainly liked Madden over the years. It's it's uh, been a good crew. Right. Um, if there's anything a little exciting about the Super Bowl. It is the Eagles and that the Eagles storyline all, all year has been pretty neat. And, uh, for Nick Foles to come in as second string and look really bad. And then suddenly have an amazing game like he had this past week is, uh, fun to see a, if a backup could win this, win a Super Bowl would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a good story. I'm, I'm for it. You know, we lived it here in 2000 in terms of a backup winning the Super Bowl. Nick Foles has been a lot better quarterback in the NFL than Trent Dilfer was, and uh, and this is still a, a good story. Yeah. Uh, the Ravens haven't had any football in about three weeks, so what's your after-football routine? How do, how do you uh, mourn? Well, yeah, I've gone through the five stages, I think, by now. You know, it, it, one of the things that 
forces this the thing to go quicker as you analyze and you you tie out the season for a numbers purposes and whatnot and so all that process I've been through and that that helps um, but but during the off season I need to and I find projects for myself and I'm going back and looking at the 2006 season so that's a lot of fun big 60 sack season and uh, a lot of the old Ryan defense which we are promised will be back with uh, wink right and that I mean and that could be exciting and something at least to give us a little bit of hope and something to be excited about going into next season um, what happened to the state of the Ravens address oh that's a good question I mean it, it presumably is not happening and I think I understand the reasons why but there may be some additional ones as well uh, Steve Bishotti has seen what happened with the Dick Cass letter. So Dick Cass sent yes, out the letter about saying, the, "We need you fans in this in the stadium. Yeah. I know players are kneeling, but we need you." Yeah, and and all it does is toss up another uh, jump ball for the two factions who can never reconcile themselves: the people who say basically the Ravens are racist for not bringing Kaepernick in, or the people who the the military folks who say you can't kneel. Blah blah blah. Um, those two sides are never going to reconcile. So don't try and bring up items like that ever. It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. It's like trying to talk about whether Barry Bonds deserves to be in the Hall of Fame or not. There's, nobody is going to be convinced because they're they're tied to either the steroid component or the stats right. component. So you think that yeah. Steve Bashotti is avoiding the State of the Ravens press conferences? You're not doing it because he's afraid of the the press is going to bring up those questions. Which I, I they, think. Which. To be the voice of the fans and represent the fans, they kind of have to ask those questions. Right. I think I think that's right. I think they would ask those questions. I think Bishotti does not want to answer them. Bishotti's a smart public relations guy, and he's just saying, look, I'm not going to be part of this. Um, we, we did this because we really wanted to be as open as possible. The other thing I've wanted, and we talked about this previously on the show, is that they would be open about the hiring of Wink Martindale and tell us what their process was. Right. And I would be happy if they just gave us a printed process of that but the but the thing is that i think you know some of the things that uh, brian said on the show last week are probably correct is that uh, steve said no that's a coordinator you hire for that john i'm not going to get in the way of your hiring one of your assistant coaches but in truth it's it's a defining moment for the organization i think organizationally the number twos on either side of the ball need to be organizational decisions and not just hardball decisions sure um I really think them skipping this State of the Ravens uh, address is a big deal and a, a bigger deal than uh, where we, we can just uh, forget about it. It's not. It's something that I know they they just they well if time goes on fans will just forget and stop asking about it. But when you've ne- when you've done this every year, I'm very surprised they didn't, especially in a world where it's now accepted that sports teams control their own media and try to control the narrative with their own staff members. I'm surprised they at least didn't do a closed-door State of the Ravens-type presentation on their website with their own with their own reporters in the room. Okay, so Ryan Mink and, and Garrett Downing, and, they interview right, Ryan, the shoddy yeah, and the four and, of them. And, um, and the lady whose name I'm blanking on who handles the... Uh, Sarah Ellison. Sarah Ellison, yes. And I, I was surprised they didn't at least do something with those three if you're afraid if you're if you're afraid of of what coleman's going to ask then go ahead and, and at least do a closed door stay the raven uh so you're still doing what you normally do and not just trying to sneak past like no one noticed 
Okay. Well, that's true. It, it is another opportunity to give people out there just a chance on Twitter to say, you need to do one thing to address the Kaepernick situation, to address the kneeling, to address you know why you've lost fans, why you've turned your back on the military, why you hate the American flag. I mean, just I, I, less narrative. Right. Sometimes saying nothing is the best thing you can do. Uh, yes, I guess so. If you're having... If you are having that bad of a problem controlling the narrative, then I can see that. And I wonder at what point how is nine months long enough? Do the fans forget about it when when the preseason football comes? Do they just get excited because guys are hitting each other again and and stadiums are full and tailgating's back that they forget about about the issues? I think you know the answer to that. We supported football here before the Ravens became good. Right. And now there's a there's a certain entitlement that goes with fans here. The, the, Bishotti was the first to do the State of the Ravens thing. In fact, the State of the Ravens started as a sweet owners only meeting they would have. I got to go to it way back when uh, from, from via Transamerica. And we had a certain number of four seats per year that we would get into this State of the Ravens thing. It was a very small... 150 people, maybe 200 tops with the four guys, and they'd bring a couple of the big-time players, like Ray Rice was there one year, and Joe Flacco was there another, and they had Peter Boulware and other people. I mean, it's a, it's a really nice event, but but it was private, and and you know it was done for sweet holders, and then they made it public, and that's that was that's wonderful. It was just a it was a uh, they were the first team to really do it on a regular basis. It was a it was a you know open kimono kind of thing, which is very bishotti. But, uh, uh, you know, I can understand his reasons for not doing it this year. Okay. Um, all right. Well, yes, we know. One thing we do know is that sports fans and a lot of us just in general, uh, mass groups of people have short attention spans. So we, we will move <laughs> on. And because we have short attention spans, now's a great time to look back at this past year and really break down uh, how the players did. And we do this every year with these five categories. So, Ken, do you want to go through some of the categories? Sure. So, so very briefly, the five categories. Now, if you've been listening to these podcasts, you already know them. So, please just try and appreciate if I'm explaining it well. So, the young producer categories, players on their first contract who are usually starters but are at least have some role that's significant on the team and they're playing pretty well as well. So a lot of people, they, they might be starters and not playing well enough, they can hold back that way or they don't quite have enough playing time to make it is another way. But these are all players on the first contract. The significance of these players are they are the ones who are helping you beat the salary cap, which is the ultimate constraints in football. It's like People say it's a quarterback-driven league, but it's a cap-driven league. That's what it is. Category two developmental players. Those are players who are still young and have a chance to move up into the young producer category uh, but but are just not there yet for one reason or another. And we're going to spend a lot of time focusing on that group as we do every time. It's a, it's an interesting mix of players and frankly, unfortunately, not as good on the offense as it is on the defensive side. But we'll talk about some of the possibilities. All right. Group three. Veterans playing for market value. So you got a handful of those on the Ravens. We'll talk through that. Group four are the veteran cap value concerns. So you're paying these guys a lot of money, but you're not getting the return you'd expect on them. And then the last group is is what I call transitional. Uh, Josh calls them out the door or gives them other yeah. negative number negative names. But uh, but they're the players you really want to minimize the number on the roster who are sitting there earning a salary, even anything. And and uh, uh, it's 
money that that uh, you're just wasting and has no real future in terms of uh, option value for the team. Right, right. It's the guys who don't make any sense to throw on your team. They're not helping you at all. All right, mm-hmm. let's uh, let's get started with the young producers. When we went last week, we went and really broke down. Was it last week or two weeks ago? We we sat down with Brian. We went really deep into the defense. And we had six guys over here on the young producers. I'm not seeing that many here on the offense. No, no. It's, uh, there's only three guys on the offense. The three I have tagged this way are Alex Collins, Ronnie Stanley, who I think most people would agree those two are, are in. But the third guy is Patrick Ricard, which might be a eyebrow raiser. But uh, he did a good job of maturing into a, a, from a defensive lineman into a promising rookie fullback who blocked very well. He caught a couple touchdown passes. And within the context of his role and within what the, you know, the, the money he's making, he certainly is now producing at a level. Uh, the dearth of talent the Ravens have at tight end might even put him in a better position this next year to do more. Alex Collins, I don't think we need to say a lot about. Great, great season. In a lot of ways, he was the Ravens' offense. Uh, he'll get some push for playing time. A lot of people question whether or not he's got the job just one outright, and I think he will be the feature back for the Ravens next year, but they're also going to have Kenneth Dixon back, which should be good. Buck Allen came on strong at the end of the year, so maybe he can produce something as a third back as well. So pretty good set offensive backfield. I think they're now, the Ravens are now at a point where they won't waste a draft pick, at least a high draft pick, on a running back um, this time around. And then Ronnie Stanley, of course, took a step back with injuries this, uh, this year, but uh, still... He is the anchor of the offensive line, and, and very much so with Jensen's future with the team in doubt. All right. Uh, Alex Collins was a surprise, of course, this year, and now he's the fan favorite. Is he really as good as we saw this year? Is Hobie, As you said, Hobie going in with not a whole lot of competition for playing time. Is he the guy that we can count on being the premier back for the Ravens? Well, I mean, I think in the NFL, if you want to save money at running back, first of all, there aren't very many sure things, and running backs get hurt. So you're not you're not incented to ever pay a lot for a running back and take the risk of that player getting hurt. Adrian Peterson, of course, made a made a boatload of money, but he got hurt, and now all of a sudden, Adrian Peterson isn't one of the top backs in the league, and you know he has to be traded and whatnot. But right. uh, it just does not pay. It, it's not good salary cap management to pay your running back a lot of money, which I think also means it's not good salary cap management to expend first-round draft capital on a running back. And I think we'll get back to more of that. Ezekiel Elliott came in the league, and maybe he's reversed that trend slightly, but I think the undercurrent is basically going to be moving running backs to later in the first round into the second round rather than uh, you know the high and middle of the first round. Okay, and that kind of explains like we're seeing at the Eagles that they've got three running backs that they're rotating through, and mm-hmm. not putting the heavy lifting on anyone on that team. Um, all right, let's get into these developmental guys because you got ten guys here listed as developmental. So uh, that that's a little bit of hopeful that these guys are are growing. Yep, we we uh, let's start by naming them all. So all right. the, the the ten guys are Quincy Adeboyjo. Uh, Buck Allen, Nick Boyle, Kenneth Dixon, Jermaine Illuminor, Alex Lewis, Chris Moore, Nico Saragusa, Matt Skura, and Max Williams. So 10 guys all on their rookie deals who still have a chance to be um, viable, significant producers in the NFL. All right. Um, Uh, Do you want to break? Do you want to go into detail with those guys? To to me, this is the most 
most important group. So let's do that okay. if you're good for yeah. that. I, and I and we, the first guy you mentioned was Adeboyjo, who did not uh, see much playing time this year. No, he he didn't get on the field as a player, but he practiced with the season with the team the whole season. So he was on the practice squad for a while. Then he moved, got moved up to the roster, and so he at least had that season of practice, which separates him from another guy, Tim White who just didn't practice with the team, and he lost a year to injury. So Adebojo to me, because he has kind of prototypical size at 6'3", 200, um, as opposed to White, is more of a guy, I think, who's who's a step ahead and is a true developmental uh, option. Is, I did... Uh, is he, ahead, is he younger than Pearman? Uh, Adebojo is a rookie. Okay. Uh, I assume right. he's younger, but honestly, I haven't looked it up. To, but but to either way, he's got sure. more options. That's correct. That's correct. So he's got, he's got, uh, he's, yeah, he's got the remainder of his tenure is on his rookie contract still left. All right. So just move on here to, to Buck Allen. Um, the problem with Buck Allen has been his low yards per touch, and we seem to talk about it every time we talk about it. But actually improved a little bit in the last few games of the year, and he got all, all the way up to 3.9 yards per carry for the year. But he's still at 5.4 yards per reception, and that speaks to a lack of elusiveness. After he makes, uh, you know, after he makes a catch, uh, he's obviously not going on a lot of deep routes either. But uh, you know, if Ray Rice were in the same position, he'd be catching the ball an average of two yards behind the line of scrimmage and making, you know, eight or nine yards per play still. So uh, he, he's there's definitely a difference there in terms of, uh, of of his ability to make a play after he catches the ball. So uh, I don't know if he's the right guy for that. He was dubbed initially when he came in as a pretty good option on third down because he's a, he's a decent receiver. Uh, and he was up there. He might have been second on the team in catches this year. It's just he, he didn't amount to very much yardage at all. So uh, that's the reason he's held back and he's not already in the unproducer group. Gotcha. Uh, next guy on your list is Nick Boyle. With a team that struggled so much to catch the ball and to have receivers on the field, I thought Nick Boyle would be used more in that fashion this year. He wasn't. What can we expect from Nick Boyle? Yeah, and that's a really good point. Um, they used Nick Boyle a lot as a blocker. Um, one of the things the Ravens felt like they had to do is they had two tackles, each who needed a lot of help in pass blocking. So Ronnie Stanley, it was because he was hurt. And on the other side, Austin Howard is because he's got very slow feet. So you got two guys in Williams and Boyle, and Ricard was used in this role as well. Uh, running backs were used in this role as well, but they were, were attempting to chip on an awful lot of plays. I keep track of chip blocks and uh, set blocks on every play, and I wanted to go back and, and see just how what was the difference per play from past years in terms of how many chip blocks were they applying. But I, I want to say in, in t- typical years in the past, you know, five or six chip blocks might have been typical for a game, and this year it seemed like they would have a dozen per game and so it's a it's a fairly big difference in terms of what they're doing to help the tackles and that was Boyle's primary responsibility this year he had 28 catches again only 7.3 yards per reception so he's not he didn't do a lot there and he had he was flagged seven times this year which is the other thing he, he really needs to correct that without the flags he probably could have been in the in the young producer group but uh but with those all those penalties I can't do it gotcha uh, Kenneth Dixon had a bunch of injuries this year uh, can they really afford to have Collins, Allen, and Dixon all in this backfield? Sure, I mean they can have. They certainly would love to go with a with a three headed monster into the regular season. That's the the typical NFL right. format right but with now. With these I'll three say. guys, 
uh, but with these three guys, it's a legitimate question. Is is uh, you know Dixon has a lot of similarities to Collins. Uh, he's a better receiver though, and so in some sense he complements him better in in that way. So I think there could be reason why the three of them would work fairly well together. Uh, they've got they certainly got a big power fullback up front who can catch the ball a little and can block pretty effectively. So I, I'm I'm happy with that. Um, I, you know I'm going to say yes, they can do it. The one thing the Ravens did this year that I really liked out of Morningweg was they played a lot of pony backfield, which means they've got two tailbacks in the game. And that was extremely deceptive to opposing defenses. The de- opposing defenses spent a lot of resources trying to follow Collins on such plays, who was usually in as a, as a true tailback in an I formation. And then they would also uh, you know, have the option to hand the ball off to um, Buck Allen, who often lined up as the fullback. So I, I like these three guys it, as long as I can trust Dixon that he's not going to flake out again and, and have another PED suspension, then I think we, we're, yes, these, th- these three guys, talent-wise, are pretty good. All right, uh, here's the surprise to me on your list, Illuminor. He had, like, one good game and then nothing, and he's in your developmental list? Well, I mean, legitimate question, and, and certainly I could have put him lower, and he hasn't, he hasn't earned that next opportunity yet, which is unfortunate. As a rookie, you'd like him to at least show something that would make you think he's certainly going to be the next guy up, either a tackle or a guard or whatever. Um, he did show a little bit of flash against the Bears, and that included some good ability to get push. But he's a little bit slow, kind of too slow to pull, in my opinion, but we'll see uh, if, if that can work out. And honestly, the Ravens' interior offensive line situation with Jensen and Hurst leaving and Yonda coming back from injury and Syracuse coming back from injury is very much up in the air. So it wouldn't shock me if Illuminor found a starting spot next year. Um, but a lot of it is that opportunity set is there, and, and uh, he needs to really make progress in some significant play ways next year, not just strength. He'll, he'll do that, but in terms of some significant offensive line technique ways. Gotcha. Um, what about Alex Lewis, another guy that struggled with injuries? Sure, and now two years for him. So his, he had a shoulder injury, got announced in camp. It was devastating to me when it happened. It was obviously devastating to Harbaugh as well. And the way you can tell Harbaugh is devastated by an injury, he's – very mean-spirited at the at the podium. He's announcing something factually. He wants that to be the end of it. And then there's a whole lot more that goes on with it. It was actually the day before Collins got hurt. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, Lewis got hurt. Oh, there was another injury at maybe at right tackle. Yeah, it was at right tackle, which meant that Howard was going to be at right tackle and that Lewis was going to stay at guard. And so I asked him a question within that context of, does the fact that you, you, know, you have Austin Howard now to play right tackle mean that you're happy that Alex Lewis can get a full season developmentally at guard because he would have been the guy to move out to right tackle? And he, he answered it as like, say, do not even have enough information to interpret that question. I don't have the first idea how to interpret that question. And it was the day before that injury had gotten occurred. And I, I came in after Coleman had asked a question about something similar, but Coleman's was more directly related to the injury. And then I asked the question. I felt very persecuted by Harbaugh personally for him responding that way. But then he, he, he stopped by afterwards and said, you know, there's just something else going on here. It's just a piece of missing information. And the next day they announced that, that he, was, uh, he was hurt. Right. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the way it went. So bummer for Lewis. Hopefully he's back and he'll play well. 
I'd like to see him at left guard. I, I keep hearing talk about him moving to tackle. I think he'll be much better if he stays at guard, much like Hurst. But uh, we'll see if that's what the Ravens do. All right. Uh, everyone's favorite special team player, at least not that's not kicking the ball, Chris Moore. There you go. So he's been exciting. Scoop and score more. Outstanding special teams player. He's done a whole lot of things well for, for the Ravens. He, just, he always seems to be near the ball when it's loose. When it's being blocked, you know, when it, it it doesn't matter where, but he seems to be near the ball, and not to mention that he had the great special teams returns, uh, including the kickoff kickoff return in the final game that got the Ravens back in it. Uh, made progress as a receiver with 12 out of 18 catches over the last few games after just being six for 20 with a couple deflection interceptions. Uh, one of them that cost him the Chicago game, and I guess you could also say it cost him the Bengals game with the 90-yard pick six that was off that bobbled uh, interception as well. But anyway, Moore is one of the givens in the Ravens wide receiver component next year, and there there aren't many givens. You know, it's it's him, Adebojo, Tim White will probably be back, and then they're going to have to figure out exactly where they get the rest of the roster because nobody else is is an obvious one. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, Skura, I've heard talk that Skura could move to center next year. Yeah, I, I've heard that too, and it, it's something that I don't want that to be the best option at center. I think if, if Skur is the backup, well, that's fine. Skur would be a fine backup center for most of the NFL. If you go into a year at center, it's kind of like going into a year with Greg Kowski at center. Is you got a little bit of an undersized guy there who there's the risk of significant pocket push. He, that was the thing. Skura had a little bit of trouble with. He was pretty good at, at making a block and staying on that block and always knowing where to go with his block, including in level two, lining him up pretty well. Those are Skura's positives. Skura's negatives are he really does not have the anchor to uh, hold off any of the big AFC defensive interior behemoths. So that, that would be my fear, is that we go back into this and all of a sudden the Ravens can't pull anymore and the running game is, is in, the, in the trasher because they... Uh, don't have a center who can hold his ground. So I, I would prefer if Skura were not the, the only choice at starting center. If he reshapes his body over the offseason, he comes in the way Jensen did, and he's you know 10 pounds more and 20 pounds more of muscle, fantastic. Love to have it. Love to have him be part of the competition, but I don't want to have him being the only choice going into camp in 2018. Gotcha. Um all right, I never thought we'd have another Saragusa on the Ravens, but we do. Is this guy going to uh, make more of an impact next year, you think? Uh, well, he's coming back from a very serious knee injury, and, and it's one of these MCL, PCL, ACL. I don't know if he tore all three, but he tore at least two of the three. And those kind of injuries are really serious. You know, Offensive linemen need their legs, not like all football players don't actually need their legs to play. But uh, Saragusa was a power run blocker. That's why they got him. Uh, just an overwhelming force on the inside that, that uh, can move people. And I, I, I question whether or not some of that road grading is going to be lost with the kind of injury that he's had. So certainly a big concern. He's one of the players I'm really interested to see what kind of shape does he show up for camp. Right. All right. Uh, finally, another tight end, Max Williams. Yeah, obviously – we're a lot less excited about Max Williams now than we were the day after he was drafted by the Ravens. You know, it seemed like 
we moved up. We beat the Steelers out of Max Williams by moving up and to, to make the selection. It seemed like we'd gotten real value. Turned out both the Ravens and Steelers got terrible value in that second round. They get Sanquez Golson, who they've already released after two seasons. And, uh, you know, that was – it did not work out for either team. And Max came back. He did some blocking this year after his injury last year. Uh, he caught a touchdown pass, might have caught two but his yards per touch are very low, and it's not he's not an exciting receiving option, I don't think, going forward. He has to really make it as a blocking tight end, which means he kind of needs to reshape his body, probably put on additional weight to do that. Uh, it's going to be a question whether or not he, he has the ability to do that. So we'll see where it ends up. Joe's you know done it before with guys who are not particularly smooth, just big targets. Dennis Pitta really falls into the category of a guy who isn't, He's not an elf in terms of his ability to move around the field, but he also wasn't really big enough to block effectively. Williams is at least big enough to block effectively. So maybe there's some hope. All right. Now let's get to the big chunk of money, the veterans playing for market value. Yeah, so there's there's a bunch of players, nine players in this category. And some of these guys are free agents. But the key thing about this is they played their last down cheaply for the Ravens. If they get whoever they play for, they're playing for market value next year. So those guys are Michael Campanero, who is a free agent, and I included the special teams guy. So all three, Morgan Cox, Justin Tucker, and Sam Cook, are all in this group. Then we have James Hurst, who is a free agent, Ryan Jensen, who's a free agent. We have Austin Howard, uh, Mike Wallace, Ben Watson, who is a free agent. Mike Wallace is a free agent, too, by the way. Danny Woodhead, who is probably going to be cut, if I had to guess, because he's the fourth running back, and unless there's another fear of a suspension or they want to wait and see if anything happens in terms of injury. I just think Woodhead is likely to be cut because there is a significant cap savings from uh, from letting him go. And then Marshall Yonda. So Marshall Yonda is not a free agent. He's under contract. But with the injury he's got, you got to ask yourself, does he come back from this at this point? Is he going to be able to be the same player he was at his age? And uh, he works hard. So you know, I, I, I hope there's a good chance, but but uh, there's always a risk that he will not be back. And uh, right, and the, Austin uh, Howard's under. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to move on and just mention of these guys that you mentioned who are free agents. That Ryan Jensen's the one that really stands out to me. Uh, yeah, he's the one. He's the one they they want back the most, but he's also going to cost the most. So, uh, you know, I've heard different things, but. You know, the, the, the market for Jensen probably starts somewhere in the $9 million per year range. So we're already we're talking about a significant chunk of the cap. Right. And even though they'll try and backload that contract, put a lot in the first year, it's still going to be very expensive to keep Ryan Jensen. And, and it's going to make the Ravens think. So they may be able to sign him or they'll probably know by the draft because he's one of the really sought after. Yeah. Free agent centers certainly they'll probably know if they've lost him by the draft and and will at least be prepared to uh, to draft the next uh, prospect. Well, and that's where the Skura center discussion comes into play as well. There you go. They've, they've got they do also have a pretty interesting track record of signing older free agent centers. They, that's certainly what they did with Matt Burke, and he turned out to be a great player for the Ravens. Uh, in fact, they, they let Jason Brown go, and Brown made like seven and a half million per year, and they signed Burke, and he made four million dollars a year, and was was a lot better. So uh, they, you know, they might be able to find that guy in in free agency this year. Somebody everybody else thinks is washed up that they can make good again. All right. Um, 
and I guess the wide receivers, we can just scratch them all out. The wide receivers did such a poor performance this year. I can't see any of those guys coming back, right? Yeah, I mean, I think they're basically going to flush the toilet on the wide receiver position. You know, kind of like, give me five five cards of draw poker. <laughs> just toss your whole hand in. But uh, but Michael Campanero, uh, I, do, I don't see him back. But if he is, it'll be at some minimalist kind of contract. Uh, and he won't. I don't think he'll have a big receiving role with the Ravens anyway, but I think I expect Mike Wallace to be gone. I expect Ben Watson, even though he's a tight end, to be gone. Um, I expect uh, Jeremy Macklin to be cut, even though he is under contract. Uh, but there's a lot of reasons why Macklin is unlikely to still be around. Did not really appear to be too into it as the season went on and, and made some mental errors that are usually uh, deal breakers for Harbaugh. Right. Um, and the, finally, the Wolf Pack—they're all going to be back, right? You can't—you can't break that up. No, they—they—they they, back. And it, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about that this year. I mean, they're—they're they're all getting up there in terms of age. Tucker's not, but but Cox and and Cook have played together right. for a long time. And you know, how much? How many more years do these guys have together? I mean, uh, Cook's already. This is already Cook's thirteenth season coming up. I mean, a lot of people don't realize just how long he's been in the league. I guess they could get a new long snapper if if they needed to, but but you know Morgan Cox certainly could still be playing for five more years. I I don't know if Cook can. Yeah. Right. Um, all right. Let's move on to the veteran cap value concerns. And the, the first guy you've got here is well, you've got Joe Flacco and Jeremy Macklin. And I'm surprised that I get that Joe Flacco's taken up a big chunk, but how can he be a concern when you can't really play with you? You need him there. You can't. Just scratch him. Yeah, it, it, it's almost like he should have a double asterisk or some different kind of a notation here that that says you can't cut him because you just got to hope it works out because Flacco's contract structure and we went over this extensively in the podcast two weeks ago with Brian in terms of what can you do in terms of uh, getting Flacco either restructured or cut or whatever and there's just there's no way to do it. I mean, if you cut him, it's twenty eight point seven five million of dead money. If you extend him, you're mortgaging more of the future. I don't think that's the right call. So they basically just got to play the hand they're dealt here. Hope Joe Flacco is a better quarterback in 2018 than he was in 2017. I think there are indications from him playing better after the injury that he could be. But, you know, it, it, the Ravens' fate in many ways is going to be decided by how well Flacco can play and how well Flacco can complement that very good young defense and hopefully win with a still a defense first mentality where the offense then can then take advantage of field position and, and, and cash in fairly regularly as well. Gotcha. Um, all right, the other guy we mentioned, Jeremy Macklin. Again, as bad as these wide receivers were this year, you're not going to invest money in Jeremy Macklin, are you? No, he's got to go. Uh, he's a, he's a, he's a significant cap savings from cutting him. It might be $5 million, but... There's a lot of other reasons around the clubhouse. I, I've heard rumors. I don't really want to go into them because you know you, you, you hear things and you don't know what's true and what's not. But, gotcha. Uh, he he had a good game at midseason. He, I think it was Green Bay. They had he had eight out of nine receptions, but he never showed that kind of uh, chemistry with Flacco at any other time during the season. Just a just a very not a good fit for the Ravens as it turned out. Gotcha. All right, let's move on to the transitional players who, you know, I say these are the guys that should be kicked to the curb. Uh, you've got Luke Bawanka, Andrew Denau, Crockett Gilmore, Brandon uh, Kubla now, 
Ryan Mallett, uh, Stefan Nebent, Vince Mayo, Brashard Perriman, Maurice Shakir, Terrence West, Tim White. I don't know why I decided to read the names when we got to the hardest <laughs> list possible. Yes. I was wondering about that too, but that's good. You got them? Yeah. Um, several offensive linemen who are basically hurt for the year are in this group. Um, uh, Nembot and Shakir, n- neither of them has any real future with the team. It's it's possible. Or Brenda Cablano is also in that group. Andrew Denal played, but uh, he got a little bit of playing time against Cincinnati. But basically, just a handful of snaps. Luke Bolanco, I think we acquired him for a conditional pick. And I would be very surprised if those conditions were met because he didn't play very much either. So, uh, you know, just a collection of guys, five guys, offensive linemen here, none of whom I really expect to be back. Of the players, Denal is the most likely to be back because he can play tackle a little bit. So uh, uh, he'd be a possibility. Uh, Crockett Gilmore is done with the Ravens. I'm I'm 97% sure of that. Ryan Mallett, it's possible he could be back. Um, it's possible they'll move on to another uh, draft pick or to another uh, quarterback who comes from another team as uh, as an option as the backup. Uh, Vince Mayo played very well as a special teams player. He had the block and he held his block for about 30 yards on the return by Moore against Cincinnati. So. Uh, he's done some impressive things on special teams. I think he ought to be back. It's just he'll never really be a starter for this team. He'll always be a, a, a guy who's fighting for his roster spot tooth and nail. And he's probably number, number he might be number 47 on your roster, sorry, number 46 on your roster before you get to the inactives. But that really means he's like also the 53rd guy that you might cut in order to, to bring somebody onto the roster. So he, he's going to always have a tenuous situation here in Baltimore is my point. Gotcha. Who else right. on, the, on that list strike you as, yeah. as a, hey. Yeah, you know the guy I got to talk about. You said we're going to blow up the wide receiver core. Um, <laughs> Bashar Perriman, because he's so young, we can't just blow him up yet, right? You're telling me we've, yeah. got, we've got to at least give him a little bit more time and blow him up midseason if it takes it? Well, they, I mean, they could take that that uh, as, a, as a method. There is still some upside potential there. But the fact of the matter is the Ravens are not going to cash in on any of it. At, at the best-case scenario, he's on the team. He gets 20, 25 catches this year because uh, I just don't see him as having a bigger role than that. And then the Ravens get nothing for him when he walks as a free agent. Gotcha. Uh, they've already declined the option for the fifth year. So he, whatever he contributes is going to be minimal this year probably. Uh, I don't see him making the huge leap in terms of receiving skills. Although he should be trying to do that. He should be figuring out. The Ravens can't do this for him. Right. But they, he should be trying to figure out what program does he need to get into to improve his receiving skills so his contract year is not wasted. And that, and that was my follow-up question is, you know, I'm, I'm more of a baseball guy. I know the ins and outs of how the Orioles work somewhat. I know that, like, Trey Mancini this past year had his first year playing outfield in baseball. So what the Orioles did is they hooked him up and sent him out to California to go out to California this offseason and spend time out in California with Brady Anderson working on outfield play so that he can come yeah, back and ready idea. for that. So is do NFL players do something like that? Does Perriman go into a camp or work, find a really good receiving coach and work with something this offseason? What do NFL players do? 
Yeah, they have some things like that. And Ryan Jensen did something like that. And I think Jensen's was more in terms of reshaping his body physically as opposed to it being an offensive line guru who he was working with. But, but yeah, I mean, you, you want to make productive use of that time. And I know some for some players that's, you know, take a little bit of time off, party, go to the Caribbean, whatever it might be. But for other players, it's, it's I'm on the fringe of the NFL, and if I'm going to make it, and this is my fourth year, I better get my ass in gear right now. And that's where Brashad Perriman should realize he is, is that, you know, there's the end, the end of the golden road has come if he doesn't have some sort of a decent 2018. He, probably, he might play one more year in the league at the league minimum, but he's, not, he's never going to make any money if, unless he plays well this year. Gotcha. So whatever it takes to get better receiving skills, Brashad, go out and do it now. All right. But like you said, that's up to him as the player. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's, get, let's do a little bit of offensive MVPs for, the, for 2017 for this past season. And the Ravens, they did their Ravens MVP. They gave it to Suggs. But let's look at the offensive side and give me your top three players for the season. I'll give you a three to one here. So my number three guy is Ronnie Stanley. Tough year in terms of injury, but he remains the uh, the, the anchor of that offensive line now at left tackle. Uh, the number two guy, Jensen, might have had a better year. Certainly, I think he did have a better year in terms of uh, his play uh, in 2017, but now maybe gone, of course, and, and is uh, no longer that anchor. But Jensen did a lot of really good things that made both of those guards look better than I think they really were, including always keeping a nice space clear for them to pull. And we talked a lot about James Hurst and his good pull percentage this year, and he owes a lot of that to Jensen. So Jensen's my number two guy. All right, uh, and your number one guy. My number one guy, Alex Collins. I don't think there's any dispute about it. He really was the offense for much of the year. Collins has a lot to learn as a running back still. I mean, I think he, he really does not follow blocks all that well, but his improvisation is great. Uh, he, he has quick feet. He moves well to the outside as long as he's continually you know busting a play to the outside. He, he definitely does want to turn every play into a stretch play, which I don't, I'm not really crazy about. Barry Sanders make, made it work you know, with the Detroit Lions, but uh, it's not for everyone. And I hope that, that Collins will learn some of the other good inside technical running skills that he needs to follow blocks, to read his blocks, read the cues from the linebackers behind him to, to make those inside runs as well. So, uh, you know, as good a year as he had, still a lot more upside for Alex Collins. And, and, and frankly, honestly... He'll, he'll, he'll regress some to the mean in terms of his ability to get yards after contact, which was just spectacular this year. All right, now what we've all been waiting for, it's time for Ken McCusick, LVPs. Just kidding, Ken. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm not going to make you call players out for uh, ruining the season. What I do want to do is get into the mailbag segment. And you can, even now that we're going into the off season. And uh, let's, in a minute, talk about what we're going to do, some other shows this offseason. But even during the offseason, you can still get your questions in using hashtag film study mailbag because Ken is all over Twitter and will answer your questions even if there's not a podcast going on. I've got, uh, I've got a question from myself and a question from Dustin Cox. I'm going to start with Dustin Cox who says, What do you think is more important, re-signing Jensen or signing a big-name wide receiver in free agency like a Landry or a Robinson? He uh, Dustin says, personally, I feel retaining Jensen should be the number one priority. What do you think, Ken? 
Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Uh, in particularly with those two options that are mentioned, I'm not a Jarvis uh, Landry fan at all. So I, I don't want I don't want to have him be the guy that comes here because I, I don't think he'd be uh, he he's not going to catch a hundred balls. But if he did catch a hundred balls, you know, like he did this year, he he had, he had I think 112 catches and under a thousand receiving yards. So it's just it was an awful yards per catch year for him. And uh, that's not very exciting. It's not what I want for the Ravens in terms of receiver. Jensen, if they were able to re-sign him, there is a price that it's worth it, and there is a price that it's not. And if Jensen can get a ton of money from somewhere else, well, the Ravens at least will get a comp pick for him. And they need to be very careful about deciding uh, what will they then sign in terms of free agents themselves. So uh, it, it's going to be an interesting time, but I would agree Jensen is the, is the more valuable commodity there justin does more for the ravens to to uh help them win games all right um here's my question this playoff season the past couple weeks we've seen two university of maryland grad wide receivers play outstanding football with stefan diggs for the vikings uh and then tory smith again having a great game this past weekend with the eagles did the Ravens mess up in, one, letting Torrey Smith go and not locking him down? And do you think they messed up in not knowing what Diggs was going to transition into in the NFL when he is uh, playing right down the road, basically, at University of Maryland? Yeah, it's, I don't know that I can lay all that on the Ravens, but they, they did miss on, on Diggs. You know, you hear things said on Twitter, and I don't know what to believe in terms of Stefan Diggs' mother, I think, told Harbaugh that it was just a, or maybe it was no, DJ Moore's mother. No, it was uh, Stefan Diggs' mother told, uh, uh, not Harbaugh, but. Uh, um, DeCasa? No, uh, I'm, blanking, I'm blanking on the GM. The, uh, Newsom. Newsom. She apparently told Newsom that he would regret not, not selecting Diggs. Okay. And I don't know if he does, but every Raven fan regrets that. Yeah, I mean, it would be exciting to have him here, and he'd be he'd be right. a huge uh, advantage. Um, do you know, I hear a lot of stories about the Ravens' uh, front office and stuff go to a lot of Maryland games, and that's where they go and check out the other wide receivers when big schools come to town. So huh. that's where I think it's kind of weird that they missed out on digs. And we know how hard it is to to guess what a player's going to play like. And Diggs was a late-round pick. It's not like he was an early-round pick. So everyone really passed on him, and he just happened to come up and play. Right. Well, I mean, it's the Ravens have not passed on every second-round receiver. They did get Torrey Smith. They harvested the best years of Torrey Smith's career before he left. Right. I mean, if you look at Torrey Smith, has not been that great a receiver since he left yes. the Ravens. Yes. Certainly. Um, so if, if the question, by the way, going back, is did the Ravens make the wrong decision to let him walk? They absolutely did not make the wrong decision to let Torrey Smith walk. They harvested the best years, and that's about all you can expect from a second-round draft pick. One contract played well. Right. That's good. And yeah, and it just looks worse now because our wide receiving core was so poor this season. Um, that's right. We're going in, in – while we're talking about drafts, what position do you think the Ravens – should target first, and uh, where would you put your priorities going into this draft? Right. Well, we 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 just touched on this with with Brian last time, 
But there's a couple things about this. First of all, for the people who say all offense or all defense, it's not going to be one or the other. It'll, it'll be a mix of both. It'll probably, because of the team's ob very obvious needs and youth, it'll be a question of more offensive players than the defensive players taken. But one of the things the Ravens need to make sure does not happen is that they don't get in the first round in a position where they only want one position. And they've convinced themselves they need to get a wide receiver no matter what at number 16 because they'll either trade up to get that guy and overpay for it or they'll trade down and not get value for what they're doing because the other teams know it or they'll reach for a guy at number 16 who really should be drafted number 25 and lose a lot of value that way. So the key thing is the Ravens need to go into this draft with the right mentality that says, you know, we have five or six positions of real need on this team. You know, you, you got a, a tight end, a wide receiver, uh, your offensive tackle is a big need, other offensive linemen also a big need, and then the big one on defense is, is a center fielder, the play, somebody who can play safety on the back end effectively. Um, if, if and, and I, I'd even toss in cornerback in that group if they if they. Had a, had a corner that they really loved. I have no problem drafting that guy, even even though it means that you've got uh, you've got some extra depth at cornerback next year. So anyway, I want them to go in with enough positions ready to go that they don't get screwed on value in the in the in any round, but in but particularly in the first round. Gotcha. All right, Ken. Uh, this offseason, if we got the Super Bowl in two weeks, then the NFL is going to get a little quiet. So uh, we're going to do some shows this offseason, especially if any, if any Ravens news breaks. If Steve Bashotti calls and says he wants to do the State of the Ravens with us, we'll do a special podcast. So Steve, you know, we, you should, we, should lay that. That out, we should lay that out there right now. And, Steve, we're happy to give you all our questions in advance. And uh, any, any question you'd like re-recorded, that's fine. Right. Too. Yeah, I will, I'll let you answer the Nealon question. 10 times and then listen and choose your best answer that you want yeah, to put on the podcast. Choose the, the you, best take. Right. <laughs> you can even, we can even get a little uh, test audience for you to run all 10 responses by and pick which one you want to make your official statement. Uh, there you so, go. Steve, you are always welcome. But we, one show that I know we will do is, uh, is a pre-draft, post-draft, and talking about the Ravens draft upcoming in uh, end of April. Yes, looking forward to that, and uh, and I think what we'll what we'll probably do is we'll watch what happens in free agency going up to the draft. We'll see if the Ravens have addressed anything, which they may have and they may not have, and then we'll 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 readjust or recalibrate what the Ravens really appear to be doing, what what may be going on. A lot of the players, what we'll probably see is a lack of interest in a lot of players that are currently on the roster. Like, we may know that Jensen is gone by then. We may know that Hurst is gone, is gone by then. And then there's be other players like Campanero that you'll never really know until sometime in June whether or not they might be back because they probably won't be signed by anybody else, but the Ravens might still take them as their fifth or sixth wide receiver. So we'll, we'll have some information. We'll do a pre-draft show, and we'll certainly do a post-draft show because that's the really fun one. Right. Yeah, that's when we actually get to uh... – guess what this player is going to do and what this move means to the Ravens. So that is the fun one. Until then, uh, stay subscribed to Film Study so we can surprise you whenever we come out with a new episode. Go, keep on going over to Russell Street Report. I know, Ken, you just have up your offensive grades right now. Your offense report that we just went through is up on Russell Street Report. That's right. So you just go to Russell Street Report look for Film Study. If you're following me on Twitter, it's at Film Study Ravens. Uh, Josh, we, we always talk about 336 yes. in this show. Tell us about your show. Yeah, go subscribe to Section 336. It's now baseball season. The football season's over. I know there's a Super Bowl, but it's the Patriots, so football season's over. 
<laughs> it's baseball season. This uh, Saturday, the Orioles have their Fan Fest, and that's a fun way to kind of kick off baseball season. So our, this week we got a new episode up where we're talking about a lot of Orioles stuff and kind of previewing Fan Fest. Next week we'll look back at Fan Fest. I'm sure Buck Showalter will make some comments, Dan Duquette and some of the players as well. So we'll break all that down next week. But now's a great time to go subscribe to Section 336 and get yourself excited for some baseball. Life's good. It's a it's a very good show. I highly recommend it, and uh, uh, please do do that and, and subscribe here as well. We're, uh, we're we love the uh, number of listeners we we're getting seems to be generally speaking increasing. They, I know they've recalibrated some of the numbers for us, but uh, but we appreciate that and uh, and all, uh, all the discussion on Twitter are very positive as well. Yeah. Yep. It's been great. So uh, this will now officially close out 2017. Ravens, and let's start looking forward to the future. Ken, have a great week. You too, Josh. We're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.